Deep Purple Podcast. Yes, here they are again. You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 235, Whitesnake, Slip of the Tongue, Part 1. And coming to you from the foggy suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John, the Elvis of homosexuals, Matola. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> That's why I was smirking the whole time. Yeah, did you just think of it, or what's it? No, that was that was the um, that was in uh, 1967. Uh, Advocate magazine named Judy Garland oh. the Elvis of homosexuals. <laughs> the El- <laughs> really? Oh, well, I mean, you probably you didn't need to look that up because you're the you're no. The I Judy didn't need Garland to look that up expert. because I am I'm the expert of Judy Garland as we as we yes as we uh, have established in the last episode. Yes. Um, well, and, well, many I episodes. I don't remember the episode we originally established it when when you were you knew so much because you knew she she had died or <laughs> was it that it that you just knew she was dead. No, I, actually, I think it was. You knew. I the, think it you, was actually down to the year. Yeah, you knew the like exact year she died, and I or, or like I I knew it was like the late sixties or something yeah. like that. But I was like, but I mean, that's just kind of because obviously she was dead. She'd be like one hundred and ten years old or something. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, if she was like fucking like sixteen when the Wizard of Oz came out, that was the late thirties. It's like she'd be like a you know, wasn't it the early thirties? Was like thirty three or something. <clears throat> Oh, no, you're not going to bait me into this one. I don't know. Oh, no, it's 1939. (laughs) You're right. You're right. It was the, yeah, it was the late 30s. Yeah. But, um, but no, I just, um, yeah, I know that, um, um, you know, that I think that that just like was kind of general cinema knowledge because I'm very, you know, into, into movies, movie history. I mean, you, you know, all that stuff, especially yeah. horror movies, but I mean, just general cinema history and like, you know, uh, knowledge about actors and stuff like that. I'm just like, yeah, I'm pretty sure she died in the late sixties. Wow. Um, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. She was, she, she would have been a 101 now. She was 47 when she died. So in, in sending you that, oh, pi- shit. when uh, sending you that picture of her, when I fi- I finally found the picture that we talked about last episode. Did we talk about it on the episode? Or she's like clutching. Yeah, she's think- clutching. As far as I could tell, she's yeah. clutching her hands because they've they've wrestled a bottle of rubbing alcohol <laughs> away from her that she was trying to drink <laughs> before a show. And she's like freaking out. And so in yeah. doing that, I was like looking up these pictures of old pictures of her trying to find it because it was hard to find. And I'm just looking at those pictures. I'm like, I can't believe she was 47. Well, I mean, I, I guess that that would be like if I died now. Yeah, she had a little bit of a rough, a, a rougher life than you. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I'm so like, I'm so invested in Judy Garland. I mean, I may want to go all the way and just <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just die like after this episode, yeah. just to be more like her. Yeah, I, I hope. Yeah, <laughs> stay away from the barbiturates. 
I know you've got a, a proclivity for barbiturates and alcohol, so please. <laughs> well, I mean, alcohol. Do they even have barbiturates anymore? <laughs> barbiturates. It doesn't even sound like it a real like, word after saying it a few times. No. No, I say, you know what? Yeah, it doesn't really sound like a thing like now. It's just like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to I'm going to go do some barbiturates. <laughs> going to go. <laughs> I'm going to. Oh, what? look, check it out, man. I just scored some barbiturates. <laughs> Let's get wasted. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I mean, I'm sure that that's the like, uh, you know, they have the um, the what do you, what do you call it? The technical terms for everything that you don't use for anything. It's just like. Oh, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go and inhale some marijuana right now. <laughs> going to inhale some marijuana. You know, you don't say that. No. And say, rarely, oh, I'm yeah, going to. Uh, I'm going to go um, get some opiates. <laughs> get some opiates. <laughs> Not going to do them though. I'm just going to get them. <laughs> I'm going to get them and just hang on to them. Yeah, it's the thrill. For a rainy day. It's not the hunt. It's the thrill of the chase. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great way to tie this back into deep purple. Yeah, Thank yeah. God. Oh, so that was actually accidental. I don't. I don't want to bring it back to deep purple. We can't do that. Um, okay. Well, speaking of uh, deep purple, uh, we are here today. To <laughs> speaking of deep purple, since uh, you know this is the deep purple. This podcast. is the deep purple, the cleverly named deep purple podcast. Um, and if you want to support uh, our cleverness, and uh, so we can put some more money into our Judy Garland research, um, we uh, <laughs> there's a number of ways to do it. You can leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. You can buy some merch at our Etsy store, and you can become a patron on Patreon or on PayPal for as little as one dollar a month. All the proceeds go back into the show. Right now, going to the new computer fund as we've been having some technical difficulties um, and looking to do that upgrade that we've been talking about since episode three. I don't know. Um, mm. And then you can also donate some cash on Cash App at dollar sign DPPOD or support us on Kofi. Buy us a Kofi on Kofi. But once again, I am drinking tea on this fine, fine morning from my Deep Purple Kofi. podcast mug available on our Etsy store. For ridiculous shipping charges. <laughs> yeah, buy a mug and pay for all the pay more in shipping. Yeah, actually, I, should, I don't know. Is I should put stuff on sale, like going into the holidays or something, like um, just to to get because some of these like some of the the people that buy the mug, I usually just put a note in there, like thank you for buying this because <laughs> I know the shipping is ridiculous to send a mug even across the mm. country. But um, and we've had some international people buy the mug, so thank you everybody. And once we're through these mugs, maybe we'll make some more, make a different different variety. We could make these limited edition. I should have brought some for us to sign when we were together, but maybe next time we'll do that. Um, so yes, thank you everybody for your support. Um, what? I'm like, oh, oh. missed opportunity. <laughs> we're, we should be the missed opportunity podcast. That's <laughs> really what. Yeah, we, I know another cleverly named. Yeah, but it really by us. hits the nail on the head for what we're best at. Um, <clears throat> speaking of patrons coming in at the in memoriam tier, the wonderful late Gerald, Jerry Kelly, and family at the twenty five dollar uncommon man tier, Ovis Nakfi and Purple Maniac at. The 15 squid tier, we have Alan. At the 10 pound good doctor tier, we have Mike Catan. 
At the Turn It Up to $11 tier, we have Clay Wambacher, Frank Teelgard, Mortensen, Mickelstein, and Will Porter, PHDPP. And at the $10 Someone Came tier, Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Victor Campos, and Better Call Saul Evans. And at the Hughesween by 2033 tier, we have Fielding Fowler. It's almost it's almost like eight second uh, gap <laughs> between that. Yeah, see, you were counting like I I pantomimed with my heart. I'm like, I know when it's coming now. <laughs> you know, you know exactly. You've been practicing it. Uh, but thank you, everybody. Um, and by 2033, we hope to have a Hughesween episode out to you. Um, so uh, before we get on to the next thing, well, actually, what, what should we do here? Um, before we get on to the next thing, we do have some news, and that is. <laughs> oh, right oh, in the teeth. It doesn't hurt as oh. bad as it looks. OK, let's try something else. My mouth hey harp, my mouth harp skills are not quite what they were. So we'll give it a little vibra oh, slap God, and a little, just... a little flexitone. I just felt my I just felt your tooth crack with that. No, it doesn't hurt. It sounds terrible, but it doesn't hurt. Oh, yeah, thankfully. it does. Oof. Yeah, I, I got to take some mouth harp lessons if anyone's got uh, got, a, got somebody they can recommend. Uh, that one 30 second YouTube clip I watched got me about as far, about this far. Let's see. It's too quiet. That's the thing. It's like <laughs> it's so yeah. it's so soft. Really practically on top of the microphone. Down, 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 down. Yeah, it's just not. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I just got to retire this one. Maybe, maybe um, I need to. Yeah, well, well, we'll talk about that. Anyway, we got a new podcast review from Apple Podcasts, and that's what all of this ridiculous percussion is to symbolize in case you're new to the show. This one comes into us from the U.S. This is written by Prairie Rocker. Five stars. The, entitle, the title is Nate and John are the best. Wow. This is a. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Prairie Rocker is also known as Nate and John's moms. No. (laughs) Um, I like that title. I like that title. Nate and John are the best. We should, if we had like little promo cards, we could, oh, you know, on the next round of business cards, Nate and John are the best. Prairie Rocker. You have little, yeah, like reviews. Yeah, like little testimonials. Um, Prairie Rocker says Nate and John are the best <laughs> from the esteemed, the esteemed Prairie Rocker. Um, yeah, we can hand them out at the uh, Winsocket convenience store. <laughs> it could just be like a parade of like uh, just just bland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, if any, the Deep Purple podcast. If anybody's looking to stock up on vapes and listen to some podcasts, <laughs> <laughs> we got the place for you. Um, uh. So the pod, the review is Nate and John are highly knowledgeable, but also love to incorporate knowledge from other fans. Not only have I learned more about and relived Deep Purple's catalog, I've discovered other related artists like White Snake and Schenker. Nate and John always keep the show light and funny. Their humor is truly contagious. If you miss late college nights listening to music and sharing liner notes with friends, this podcast will put you back in touch with this part of your musical heart. Wow, man, they've been writing some great reviews lately. 
I like that. That's really good. I like good. that a lot. And the last yeah, one was very much similar. It's just cool. kind of like, the, you know, and that's, you know, what we hear from people that like to listen to the show is, it's, you know, it's like hanging out with some friends and listening to music. And because, um, well, for us, that is exactly what we're doing. We just happen to be recording it. Um, I never I never thought of us, though, as our I, I actually never think of any any podcast in those terms. But like thinking of like uh, uh, those those times of listening to like your favorite uh, late night radio program like mm-hmm. uh, you remember the uh remember the metal zone oh yeah 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 or just like stuff like that like, like late night radio or like uh stuff like or or just even thinking that like anybody would get, get a kick out of our ridiculous conversations <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's know? the well when we started so, the show we said you know we're gonna we're gonna do it because it's gonna be fun and we don't care if anybody listens and we were definitely truly shocked by how many people listened but it's just uh it's fun to do and getting feedback like this is is truly great uh so we, we really do appreciate it um but you're probably all asking the question is was this the 100th review oh. Oh, man so i i wish it was because it's such a good review so close. Where, where, Which the 100th review will be like something stupid. <laughs> it would be great if it's just a terrible review. <laughs> These well, guys it, suck. It, I hate them. But it them. can't be. It's going to be five stars. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, five star review and then they hide it. They give us five stars. Like, just kidding. You suck. And then <laughs> hey, it's still boosting our, our iTunes. And we could probably keep the goodie bag. They won't want it because they hate us. Yeah. Or they'll... <laughs> Accept it and, you know, take a put a video on TikTok of them like burning it. <laughs> burning in the episode. Oh, burning the bag. Yeah, no, bur- the, yeah, no, burning the ditty bag. Yeah, I'm going to we're going to get a ditty bag, put a deep purple patch on it, and fill it up with deep purple goodies. There we go. Yeah, I'm used to filling it with other kinds of goodies. Um, so there you go. <laughs> we will uh, we will get that bag out to you after. uh as soon as we get that 100th review and we're, Hey, I can't tell you what number that was, but I can tell you we're one review closer. So keep it up. Um, hopefully we get some other good reviews. Uh, maybe we'll get a super lame one. I don't know, but, but thank you. That was a very good one. I really appreciate no, that review. Thank you. I don't you. know. I think that the five star reviews that have been coming in, they've all been very complimentary, all good in their own ways. This one I thought was very, um, um, like, you know, is sometimes like somebody will say something, it'll conjure up like a, like an image or, you know, just kind of like, um, it, like make you think like, I, so this one really did like the whole, uh, you know, the whole late night radio thing, you know, it's like uh, kind of brought me back a little bit. So that was very cool to hear that comparison. Yep. Absolutely. Um, all right. So if you want to check out any like-minded podcasts, check out deepdivepodcastnetwork.com for shows about sh- uh, other bands, deep dives into other bands that you may be interested in. So check it out. There's lots of great stuff on there. And there's a live feed of whatever the latest episodes from the latest shows are. Uh, so just pick one at random. And if you like whatever it may be, Queen or the Red Hot Chili Peppers or, or Hawkwind or who else? So we got Black Sabbath, Leonard Skinner, you name it. Um, Aerosmith, Van Halen, uh, just check it out and you, there might be uh, something in there for you. All right, so here we are. I guess before we get started, well, I guess what we normally do um, un- unofficially is kind of talk about what's your, we're, we're talking about Slip of the Tongue, Snake's 1989 follow-up to their huge 1987 album. Mm. What do you, rem- what is your history with this album? Do you have any history? What, 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 what do you think about it? Yeah, I do. I do a little bit. Um, 
Um, I mean, uh, when I when when this came out, so it was 80, 89. So we were in well, I was in high school. I think you were in junior high. Yeah, you're right? older than me. <laughs> you still are. Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> and I always will be. Yeah, and you always will. Be. <clears throat> yes, just like uh, just like um, Paul McCartney will always be nine months older than George Harrison. The interview from the, the from the Beatles anthology is like <laughs> Paul, you know, Paul McCartney is like, well, he, he said when the, you know, when they were kids, he'd be like, I'm nine months older than you. And he's like talking about in his fifties is like, you know what? He's still nine months older than me. Ah, <laughs> oh, too funny. Yeah. Ah, uh, the Beatles. Anyway. Um, <laughs> John loves it. Those cards. <laughs> um, there's such <laughs> Paul McCartney. What a card. What a card. Um, so I wasn't, um, I mean, I wasn't too much into white snake when I was in high school, uh, just because I was, um, I know that I was into the, I was, I was into like certain hair metal, but I think there was like, you know, certain other hair metal I wasn't into. I don't know, but it's like uh, white snake. I wasn't into until much later, but what I remember about this one was I remember when this album came out was new mm-hmm. and it was the follow up to the 87 um release and i remember it's it's really fuzzy because it was a while ago but i want to say it was um it was our friend derek and um you know he always had his you know finger on the musical pulse Mm -hmm. and um i believe that it was him him or somebody in school had this album and i just remember them playing like kittens got claws Mm -hmm. and just being like like that particular song and just being like thought like uh, this, this song is so cool because Steve Vai makes his guitar sound like a cat <laughs> at the beginning. Yes. And it was like, and uh, you know, no spoilers, sorry, but no, um, man, <laughs> spoiler, you spoiled this 30 year old album, but, it, <laughs> but it wasn't until later on, like, you know, uh, maybe, I don't know, we'll, we'll say several years ago, let's say within the past like 10 years or so, that I, um, when I was rediscovering all of this stuff and, uh, you know, I got into like the, the later white snake and just, you know, realized like, wow, the, the 87 album was so good. Um, I thought it was great. And then this one, um, and I was really surprised when I put it on, like how, how much I enjoyed it, like as a, like as a whole album, like, uh, definitely had that sequel type feeling to the, um, 87 album and, in style and tone and everything like that. But I was, it was just kind of like, Oh wow. Another one of those where I was like, wow, I was like really sleeping on, I felt like I was sleeping on a lot of really cool tunes for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also remember the, um, from the time too, the fool for your loving video. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, I believe it was, yeah, it came out again as a single that year. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, So I didn't even realize until, you know, I went backwards in the White Snake catalog that that was another uh, cover or redo of one of their old songs. Um, Right. But but yeah, that was um, that was my that was my memories of it. Yeah, I don't I I think I had kind of checked out on. You know, obviously, I remember the 87 stuff just being on the radio from, you know, uh, a couple years earlier um, and I knew that stuff really well but I would have only known a couple of songs off of the 87 album and I just kind of lumped I just remember like what is it Great White 
white lion, white snake, just thinking just, just all these white bands. Like I, I just kind of lumped yeah. them all in together. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like I did the same thing in my mind. It's like, Oh, okay. Like white lion, white snake, you know, it's like, Oh, it all sounds the same. They all got to be the same. You know, you don't, which is obviously you know. very was just not true at all but um but yeah as a kid i just i didn't i wouldn't have been able to distinguish one between the other i just knew that i didn't really care for any of the three of them (laughs) Mm, um and and i didn't really get an appreciation for white snake until i discovered there was more to it that they weren't some you know and when you hear these songs being sung you don't know that this is like a a british rocker you think this is just another long-haired california dude um with with tons of aquanet in his hair uh, and it turns out that, you know, obviously there's this rich history behind it that I wouldn't learn until some years later. Um, but, yeah, I, I didn't really, you know, I knew li- like later on, a few couple of years later, maybe I'd learn a little bit about Steve Vai and that he was in the band mm-hmm. briefly and all that. But I, I didn't really make the connections. I didn't make the Rudy Sarzo connection. I didn't or Tommy Aldridge, for that matter, because um, at that point I would have been really into uh, tribute and listening to that a lot and um yeah but i i i don't i didn't have any concept that two of the <laughs> the, the rhythm section from that band was in white snake during this period uh just didn't didn't compute so oh yeah i mean it's it wasn't i didn't even think i realized till years later like that um like any of that because i mean if you if you like i mean there were some of the pictures like the band pictures where it's like like Rudy Sarzo is like unrecognizable. Right, right. Yeah, he yeah, he doesn't get, his hair is all blonde. It's like teased up. Yeah, I'm like yeah, I'm like, oh shit, that's Rudy Sarzo. But again, it was like when White Snake was also one of those bands, and when I saw pictures of him in the magazine, there were like 17 people in the picture. And so I'm just like, okay, how many people are in this friggin' band? You know, it's like you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> <laughs> so it's well because you know you would see bands and it'd be like four guys yeah yeah typically or like you know it, sometimes it'd be a trio but typically it was like four guys yeah but when you have like five or six guys in a band or like those those like late 80s like like uh pictures of like black sabbath you'd be like tony iomi and then like 12 other people <laughs> surrounding him and you'd be like who who are these people he stuck he and, formed a, a blood blood sweat and tears tribute act <laughs> <laughs> he's got a whole horn but, section but he, but I mean, when, when I was a kid, I didn't know because I mean, uh, you know, you couldn't look any of this stuff up. So it's like, all right, I know who Iomi is, but I mean, I didn't know who like Cozy Powell was yeah, or, yeah. or Eric Singer or like, you know, any of these other, um, any of these are Jeff Nichols. Like I didn't, and I, you know, had no idea who these people were, or even like, um, in, um, in the white snake photos, like you said, like, um, the, basically the rhythm section for like, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Aussie, the early eighties Aussie tour and everything yeah. like that you didn't know that that was in they were in white snake i mean how would how would you know um, i want to say I mean, unless this, you were there's this old home movie where me and scott and jeff are just in my parents kitchen yeah. and um jeff is just you know jeff was like our our um you know he's a year exactly a year older than me and 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 my buddy scott and uh, this would have been right around the time that we met and you would have been going to school with him. But he he was given like a ru- his rundown. He we did Jeff do a rundown and he do a rundown of like the history of Ozzy. And when you listen to it now, he's getting everything wrong. But like we're like just <laughs> listening like, oh, and then he had this and then he was. And I think he mentioned something about Cozy Powell during that, because I always think about that. And he's he's just talking about like the the history of the bands. He's getting the years wrong. He's getting the people wrong. And it's just <laughs> but that was that was all we had. We didn't <laughs> we didn't have any way to prove 
prove him wrong other than getting a bunch of like hit parader magazines and trying to do some research. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's how you knew, you know, but I mean, it's, um, but yeah, just to, I mean, years later, it was only through, and I mean, I guess you could say that if you were, if you were older, if you were going to shows, if you were into like uh, tape trading or, you know, collecting and stuff like that, maybe you would, you know, be a little more knowledgeable of it. But at our, at our age, like, I mean, uh, limited, you know, resources, like, you know, we couldn't drive anywhere. I didn't go to shows until like, um, I didn't start going to concerts until like, you know, 92. So I was like 16. Yep. Um, and I mean, even then I had to like beg, I had to beg my parents to let me go. Um, but you could I mean, have just said, Hey, I'm, I'm jumping in the bread and going to Bible study. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's, it, it's just crazy to think about now how interconnected all of these guys were and, and with deep purple and with each other. And we didn't even realize it back then. So, yeah, I mean, it would be to get back to the original point, how easy it was to just think like, okay, just lump all these guys in together and be like, meh, you know, yeah, yeah. not interested. <laughs> yeah. They're, yeah, they're totally. probably this, you know, just making us stupid assumptions. Yep. Yeah. One, and like you said, when you were looking through those magazines, all the bands looked the same. I mean, there wasn't there were maybe a couple bands that were going for a slightly off center look, but everyone was just trying to cash in on that look and that style. So, yeah, to when you didn't know what the music was and you're flipping through these pages, you're like, these might as well all be the same bands. And, you know, then you get to a mm -hmm. band like I'd get to a band I know like, oh, Def Leppard, I know their stuff. And oh, Motley Crue, I know them, you, you know, and then you could distinguish like these that they did have all these different styles and everything. But but man, they were. Yeah talk about everybody trying to look the same it was those those magazines are a trip and all of our mm. walls were covered with these dinks <laughs> all, all permed up and everything yeah um but anyway um so yeah so the lead up to this album um the lineup that ended up coming out of the 1987 there was a bunch of turmoil um, lineup changes like crazy. Rudy Sar Sarzo came in and intended to be temporary after leaving Quiet Riot, but Coverdale ended up persuading him to stay. Then shortly after, um, Sarzo broke his foot in a, an accident at home right before they were going to play their first concert in front of 80,000 people. So Eesh. Sarzo had to do the concert with a cast on his foot. Um, Coverdale wanted to really keep this lineup together as long as possible, uh, but Sarzo was kind of on the fence still. He said he might want to go back to, to Quiet Riot, and then he sent, I guess Coverdale was sending a lot of telegrams at this point, and he sent a telegram to to warn Quiet Riot's management. He said, if he breaks the other leg, leg you can have him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, Coverdale. Um, so Coverdale said during this time uh, that, like, he noticed that a lot of people were like with management, like some people in the band were being paid too much and others were not being paid enough. And he vowed that he was never going to let that happen again. He wanted to make sure everyone was being paid fairly. Um, and at this point, I guess they started playing all these shows and everything after 87 and it kind of blew up. So they were opening for bands, but they ended up being much, they were opening for Motley Crue for a, a while, but they ended up being bigger than the bands they were opening for. So they quickly, kind of put together a new tour as headliners and they called it the return of the snakes and it sold out in like a couple of days um uh one of the things it said and so the books i'm using uh for this mainly are uh martin popoff sail away which is awesome uh white snakes fantastic voyage and this 
old and now out of date book, which is White Snake uh, by Simon Robinson, an illustrated biography. And the very the very end of the book is um, like the last pages are about the lead up to this album and like the, the new mm-hmm. lineup and, you know, pictures of him, like of, of Adrian Vandenberg and, and Rudy Sarzo. So I can, I can retire this one on the shelf because we've utilized it completely. Um, mm. uh, yeah. So they do this. They said in one of these, um, they, their tour was almost all stuff off of the new album, which turned off some of the older fans. Um, but that it included uh, a cover of ZZ Top's Legs, but being that it was Coverdale, they changed the words, so it was actually called Tits. <laughs> so classic Coverdale um, knows how to work that into a, into any song possible. Oh my god! Um, which there's got to be. What a guy! You know, I got to see if there's a uh, uh, a live recording of that. There's got. I could ask Jorg, um, and we could put it at the end of the show or something because that's. There's got to be something out there. Um, so, yeah. Leave it, so, to, leave it to Coverdale not to be subtle whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah. Uh, legs was, was, was too subtle for him. <laughs> um, yeah, he just wanted to go right to, right to tits. Exactly. That's kind of what he likes to do. Um, so the tour is based around Americans, and he, he promised in the future to go back to the well a little bit more. Uh, Vivian Campbell was kind of in and out really quick. He he contributed on one, like, remix song, and then that was pretty much it. And what I read from it was that um, Vandenberg and Coverdale were really kind of writing a lot together, and they weren't considering his stuff. So he was just, you know, he said he, he didn't really want to be like a – he wanted to be able to write and music and not just be – uh, a hired gun so he kind of left um uh, it was then announced that don airy was being promoted to full-time white snake member um which is funny because in my talks with um yorg he says he never really considered him a full-time member because he's only on like these couple albums but um mm. and, I, and i can't think of any picture of don airy posing with them like with the yeah that's the yeah he was never i mean he was on he was on the albums but i yeah. mean he wasn't you know, if he wasn't in the band photos or was he even on stage? I don't know. Probably not. I think it was. I mean, well, I mean, or, or visible on stage. I mean, if he, it, uh, to me, like I, you know what I mean? It's like when I hear Don Arian conjunction with Whitesnake, I always think like he's one of those behind the curtain keyboard yeah. players. So that's not really. Which was pretty much every keyboard player in this period. They just, they, they could not be seen. <laughs> It just wasn't, you know, looking so stupid, looking back at this period and reading about it and reading the execs, I got to say, I just find the whole the whole scene that these guys celebrate to be kind of just gross. And like the the way that they were so because they're just talking about like, um, you know, it's all about like what are these? It it wasn't about like putting together the best band because it was just like, well, they've got to look good. They've got to be good looking guys. And I'll talk about mm-hmm. it later with Sykes. They're just like, oh, Sykes, he's so good looking. It's like, I mean, he's a great player, too. But all they talk about is the, the record guys is like, oh, man, they should have kept him in the band because he was such a good looking guy. It's like I can think of other reasons. <laughs> I don't know. I just everything was image and it, you know, I guess we'll get into that well, in a little bit. Well, that's that's why I was like um, I was actually thinking that um, oddly enough during our um, our last episode, um, which was the uh, the Pace Ashton Lord. Oh, yeah. yeah. Was is like if they had that concert 10 years later, <laughs> none of those bastards would have like 
been on stage at all because <laughs> they were none of them were like good looking. No, like, you, I mean, had, you look at Tony Ashton up there and you're just like that dude would not not have been a front man in the 80s. It, like he was barely one in the 70s. He barely survived as one of the 70s. Yeah, I, it would have just been like a wall. It would have been those two backup singers and everyone else would have been behind <laughs> off stage. <laughs> I mean, I think like like Bernie was probably the like the most like probably like the you the the one you would consider the most like presentable out of like that whole bunch you know but everybody else with like the the beards and the gnarly teeth and you know just like not <laughs> really dressing well and like the there was you know no what cohesive I mean? just having, like, style the, yeah. yeah yeah exactly it's just like that stuff with like in the 80s would have never would have never played and the, there were a couple no. i can't think of them there were a couple of guys and I, I can't remember who were they like they in the 80s and in bands where they glammed them up and you could just be like you could definitely tell it was like <laughs> lipstick on a pig. You know, yeah, it's just like totally. <laughs> there was so when like, we talk about look at those metal magazines. Yes, a lot of the band. If you look through the bands, there was usually one guy where they were really pushing it. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And honestly, that's where they would have struggled with Ari. You know, like, I mean, they would like he never I don't see I remember seeing any pictures of him with the teased up hair or anything. He's always wearing the glasses and just, yeah. you know, being a goofy guy and just, you know, yeah, how do you make Don Ari pretty you know <laughs> you, you don't because you just think of it like with the shirt all unbuttoned and the you, it just yeah. yeah it looked so forced it's like we've talked about before those pictures of deep purple where they're all i think it's like the jlt era they're all wearing leather jackets and it's just like nah it's just not you're not a leather band i mean that was as close as they got to like i think having like quote unquote a look but i mean yeah. i i thought it was i thought it was kind of cool and badass but i mean it's like it i don't think it was like if they tried to like tease up their hair and like put sequins on them and shit like yep. i'm so glad they never did that stuff but yeah but i it, think around this it, around this point even coverdale was pushing it because i yeah. mean he was like what was he about like in uh, like 39 40 around this time and i mean yeah like i said in our last white snake episode you could tell that he was like an older yeah. front man not old like at least by our standards but i mean at that point like you had to be in your your 20s maybe early 30s in that scene to be considered like relevant and then anything that is just like oh, oh over the hill like the rolling stones around that time freaking forget it you know <laughs> like 30 years ago oh my god they're still around you know like we've talked about that many times but yeah yeah it was definitely uh yeah it's we gotta we gotta start looking we gotta look through some old pictures and see which bands had that with the you know the, the odd man out that just <laughs> <laughs> you know, but then you got to be like, well, they're probably a pretty good musician because if they were trying to to, to glam them up, it, they must have had something going on. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I think the Motley Crue got really lucky with Mick Mars because he could have. Uh, I mean, he fit the mold. They mostly I mean, were just like, like, ah, put his hair over his face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, he fit in with the rest of the guys, but I mean, it's like he didn't stick out that much. But I mean, it's just like. You know, yeah, there were there were some guys out there that were like really obvious, really rough. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so with Vivian leaving, they they figured, well, we still have a guitar player, so we, there's not like a real urgent need to replace, um, replace him. So they reached out to Jakey e. Lee, but he wanted to stay with Badlands. So, um, so they stuck with they just had Adrian Vandenberg at this point. Uh, but then in, uh, Vandenberg got uh, got this wrist injury that needed surgery and he couldn't play. So they said, well, you know, they're they're trying to record this album, organize a tour. Their lead songwriting guy with Coverdale is is down. So he was able to uh, David Coverdale was able to get Steve Vai to join the band. 
Um, and they got this young player named Kevin Russell to do some guide tracks on the album until uh, I think they were able to finish things. So Vandenberg's not on the album as much as he would have liked to be, but he is on the album. Um, now, I thought he wasn't on the album because I remember that being really weird was is that he was on the credits of the album with an asterisk and that he didn't perform. He's in the band, but he didn't perform on the album. Oh, maybe, maybe it's just a songwriting process then. Well, that's that's what I was thinking, which I always thought that was weird because I'd never seen an album where they've just like see below next to like <laughs> you know, the, one of the players. Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen that, whereas it's just like, well, this guy's in the band, but he didn't actually play on this album. And yeah, like, but there's plenty of other albums, though, where they show the lineup, and but the lineup they're showing in the in the liner notes is not who actually played on the album. There's a lot of that true, that goes around. True, um, Yeah. So at this time, Glenn Hughes was being considered by Geffen to join John Sykes' band, Blue Thunder, but they didn't have the time or the budget to add him into the band. So Hughes was brought in to do backing vocals on this album. So he's on a few songs on this one, on this album. Um, Love that. In the, um, uh, they said here in the old White Snake, David was the best looking man of member of the band. The Kalodner, they worked uh, to surround him with other good looking members, even adding to Tony Katane aspect as like a pinup uh, in the videos. So obviously she she even though it's like she obviously she wasn't in the band, she was like a kind of a huge part of the band and uh, in their image. Um, right. So there was a lot of pressure to release this album quickly. It ended up taking a really long time, like a year or so to to, to record. Um, uh, so, yeah, so ultimately uh, Campbell leaves. Tommy Aldridge joins the band. Um, he said that in 1990, as far as Americans were concerned, there'd only been three records and minimal lineup changes in Whitesnake because that's all they knew was everything from slided in on. Um, but obviously there's this bigger history like we talked about. Um, Tommy said he did his drums in about two weeks, but the guitars took a long time due to the injuries and other changes, like took like 10 months to finish that part of the album. Um, and Dave and said, interesting note about the album, David and Adrian wrote all the songs in the same key. A they're all in a, um, Hmm. songs in the key of a, there you go. I think I was gonna, when we recorded that album way back when that was a, that was a working title for it was songs in the key of a, because so many of the songs were in a, (laughs) Was it? Oh, I forgot that. Yeah, it was just a joke, but um, that would have been a good name for it. Um, so Olson, uh, Mike Olson said that David Coverdale was so in love with Tony at the time he was spending a lot of time with her um, and implied that he implied that Adrian Vandenberg was sent home because he was parts were not good enough. But everyone else seems to refute this. That So he was kind of saying, oh, yeah, injury, my foot. There was no injury. Um, but. Everyone else seems to say no, Adrian Vandenberg had, which is because Adrian Vandenberg's a great player, so I don't know why. His parts wouldn't be good enough. But um everyone else said, no, that's that's bogus. He had a real injury. Um hmm. and um yeah, Vi joined the band and he said most of the songs when he got there were recorded with guide tracks. It was just his his job to add the touches to the album. Um and in uh there's a couple issues in issue number 36 from uh December 1988 and issue 37 from June 1989 of of um, Darker Than Blue, uh, they mentioned back to the studio and that they're recording. They talk about, you know, that these rumors about Glenn Hughes being in the fold and like, what's that going to mean is, you know, they didn't know for sure. Like, is he going to be in White Snake? This is going to be crazy. Um, and then uh, 
talk about the album kind of wrapping up and that Campbell's leaving. He says his sole contribution to their vinyl was that remixed single, which was reported last issue, uh, which they're talking about the single for um, what, what, which single was it that they remixed from? I can't remember which single Campbell was on, but one of the 1987 singles, I think. Um, So there you have it. Um, For the band, we have, Rudy Sarzo on bass, who most people probably know. He was in Quiet Riot and Ozzy. His full name is <clears throat> Rodolfo Maximiliano Sarzo Laville Grand Ruiz Pirate y Chaumont. So, Holy cow. Yeah, so shortened. Slightly. No wonder they changed it to Rudy Sarzo. Yes. <laughs> My friend Jorge has a name like that too, and I can't remember it, but he's got like a name that's like eight names long. Uh, that's Jeez. his actual actual name uh drums uh tommy aldridge obviously formerly from black oak arkansas pat travers ozzy uh he was a self-taught drummer inspired by cream the beatles Jimi hendrix and led zeppelin adrian vandenberg previously played with a number of dutch artists in his own band vandenberg and um steve vi who needs pretty much no introduction everyone knows steve vi but you know he played with zappa and most recently um had been playing with david lee roth so those are the core band members that are credited. And of course, Don Airy um, lent his chops to the album as well. On vocals, Glenn Hughes. There's a section from uh, Darker Than Blue about Glenn Hughes. They kind of broke up in those Darker Than Blues. Like, here's everything about what Glenn Hughes is doing. Here's what Whitesnake is doing. Here's what Rainbow is doing. And the um, the Glenn Hughes section, he's, he 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 worked like with Dawkins on a project. He had done... Uh, bass on the album um he worked with john norum all the stuff he was kind of working with at the time the, the call about working for blue murder all that sort of stuff um also on vocals tommy funderburk which is a fun name to say <laughs> he, i like that he was like a very prolific va- backup singer he'd worked with ario speedwagon barry manilow kenny rogers david lee roth on the skyscraper album tiffany <sighs> And Eddie Money, so mm-hmm. a real assortment of uh, folks on keyboards. Right, so he's been around. Yeah, he's been. Yeah, Tommy Funderburk. He gets around. Uh, Claude Gaudet on keyboards, who also worked with a lot of the same artists that Funderburk did, uh, but also Peter Cetera, Smokey Robinson. Uh, he passed away in 1997, and then. David Rosenthal and Don Airy, so two former <laughs> Rainbow keyboardists, um, joining up as well. And then on, uh, we've got John Kalodner on Other, which is just basically all the, uh, he's the uh, whatever, A&R guy or marketing Mm -hmm. guy or image guy or whatever you want to call him. Keith Olsen produced it. Um, he he, uh, he actually passed away a couple of years ago as well. Um, he worked with James Gang and Dominic Troiano, who was the uh, Tommy Boland's predecessor in James Gang. Uh, Mike Klink as engineer. He worked with Dave Mason, UFO, Eddie Money, Guns N' Roses, Metallica on Injustice for All. Um, Alan Abramson, Gordon Fordyce, Noel Golden, and Shea Baby, which is a great name, uh, as engineers. And then uh, with that, that just brings us to the album art. John, what do you think about the slip of the tongue album art? Uh, let's take a look here. Um, you know, I never really, I never really given it like too much of a look, um, like too close of a look. So I'm glad that we do these because I always, 
I always lumped in this and the 87 album as being pretty much the same. It's like, right. you know what I mean? That you can't tell them apart. Uh, I mean, obviously they're different, but I mean, you know, you can tell they're, um, well, it's very, they're kind of like of a similar style. You know, yeah. Yes. Yeah, like the, a sequel, you know, to the album. I don't like, unless there's something I'm missing, I don't get it because it's like slip of the tongue and there's no, I mean, at this point we've established like uh, the 87 album, all of like the kind of really racy album art that uh, Coverdale was, uh, was pushing prior to that is gone. So now it's yeah. just very, you know, almost, you know, you got the wax seal with the little, I don't know what that is. Like that little graduation thing that you put. Yeah. It's like a little, um, yeah, I don't know. There's, yeah. there's probably a name for that, but uh, yeah. And then this, like, you know, on like a, I don't know, a stucco wall or something yeah, like that exactly, from New yeah. Mexico. It's like, it's, it's very like, it's very nondescript. I mean, it's, it's cool. It's a cool, I'm assuming it's a photograph. Um, uh, I but, don't know. I mean, it, it looks, yeah, it looks like a photo, but, um, well, it's, it's a cool, it's definitely a cool image. And I mean, I do like the, um, you know, I always like pops of red and everything because it makes, you know, things stand out. And, um, I just noticed the little kind of like drop over on the side, um, well, from, the, wax. from the wax seal. Yep. Yeah. It wax or, you know, it could be like, you know, symbolize a drop of blood or something. I don't know. Um, but what this has to do with slip of the tongue I'm not sure unless I'm missing something, but, um, um, but I mean, I think like, you know, purple, purple and red, uh, together have always been like really, uh, great colors because I, I think, I, I don't know where I'm getting it from, but I know I've read that like purple and red were like, um, kind of like ro colors of royalty, mm -hmm. um, which is why they went together. So I thought that was, um, you know, kind of a, a cool, you know, kind of a cool visual tie in, you know, with the kind of beige, or, you know, brownish, you know, um, background. So it's, um, it's not a bad cover. It's just, um, it, it, I think it's a good cover actually, but it's, um, I, I don't know how it makes sense with the title of the album, you know, like you would have like, I don't know. I feel like maybe like several years earlier, uh, Coverdale might've had like, you know, a, a woman on the front, like, you know, holding like a cherry and going like, <laughs> you know, or something like that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like it's it's like this which is like um you know uh could have been to make things more uh palatable or to get them into more um into more markets you know not be like oh we can't put this cover in because it's got a naked woman riding a snake type of thing so you know this is very not problematic so yeah yeah i'm wondering sure. if that had anything to do with it but um what do you think i think it's in Along with the previous album, it's just, I mean, it's well done and it looks nice, but it's like boring. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's like, you know, you ever see like people's like house and they'll, or, or like on TV, they'll be like, oh, like, oh, I want it to be real, real fancy and really, really classy. And it like, basically their house looks like an olive garden. <laughs> Yeah. Like Jen and I to call it the Tuscan look, you know, it's like, oh, oh, I want it to be Tuscan, you know, and it's like so it's it's like kind of like fake fancy almost, you know what I mean? Or yeah, fake elegant, yeah. you know? Yeah, uh, I gotcha. so, so, yeah, I mean, when you look at like the previous 
album covers and how interesting they are. And, you know, some of them obviously a little more appropriate than others. Uh, to me, it's just kind of, yeah, it's more of the same. It's the same thing. They replaced the marble with stucco, as you pointed out, and they put like this wax seal on it, which is cool. Like it's it's cool, but it's it's like I don't to me, it has like this air of of seriousness. And it also just looks to me like at this point, the last two albums, they've basically said, Okay, David Coverdale, you're done with the music. Why don't you leave and we'll take care of the album cover? Like, no input. Whereas every other album cover was heavily influenced by him. You know, I want to have this naked broad riding a big serpent, or, you know, I want to, you know, have this lady and the snake is slithering down her cleavage. You know, like you could just see him doing it, but he wouldn't have been like, I've got an idea. How about a W and an S on a marble background? With a wax seal. With a wax a- seal. It's just like, it looks and a just thing, purple thing just draped down over the. I don't know. I like. I can't tell. <laughs> I can't tell what it is. But it's like yes. The this this would be a wonderful concept, darling. You know, it's just like it's just not. No, he's just like. Where's the chick with the cherry going? Bleh. Yeah, they, it just seems to they they these last two album covers. While I mean, they look great. They're well done, but they just seem to like take themselves too seriously, which is. And I guess yeah. White Snake at this point is starting to take themselves a little more seriously too. And I think they're recognizing that well, I think what you see a lot of on this album is hey, we had an absolutely monster album last time. Let's try to create a formula from that. Let's try to right, do, right. let's try to do some of the same tricks. One of them is let's put this out cuz this is an instantly recognizable. It sort of looks like the old album cover. People will will gravitate towards oh there's a new white snake album and mm. you, so i think that's the first indication that they're trying to and with the record execs trying to recreate some of that magic and it didn't necessarily work 100 percent. and i mean um i feel like the this album cover and the previous one kind of created the template for like what white snake album covers or their their brand would look like going forward because yes. it was always it's always been like a symbol. It's mm-hmm. always been the white snake symbol or, or a logo that's similar to this now instead of, you know, all of the, uh, you know, even though it was uh, problematic being like sexist, misogynistic, uh, what have you, titillating, um, you know, it wasn't as it wasn't as creative as some of that that old stuff. It wasn't as exciting. And I mean, maybe, you know, in this day and age or, you know, since then, maybe it's not you know a great idea to do that but i mean it was like yeah. it was it was his you know i feel like it was his brand you know it was like kind of represented most honestly like what white snake was about you know what coverdale was about which is just like you know being fun and cheeky and sexual and you know yeah, and well, I mean, maybe the record companies too are getting a little more sensitive to that and like it wasn't it th- which is funny cuz it's you know, every other aspect of these bands and the videos were just nothing but objectification of women. So for them to be like, oh, yeah, yeah but we couldn't put it on the album cover. It just seems like a little weird. But like you've seen like the I original mean, cover guessing. for like Slippery When Wet. Mm-hmm. It's like really like, whoa, like they were. Yeah. Re- and they basically were like, no, we can't do that. And then they made it like kind of a, a boring cover instead well well i mean even look at the a couple of years later with warrant and cherry pie they had the woman like you know dropping the pie and it like was like positioned like right at her crotch as she's looking down and being like you know (laughs) it's true (laughs) it's true that looks like that could have been a coverdale was probably like oh man if only i'd thought of that trick 
That would have been perfect. He just, he just walks into the office and like slams it down like on the desk. And he's like, why didn't we do this? God damn it. They're, these warrant guys are eating our lunch. <laughs> this is my idea. I can't believe this. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. So, yeah, there had to be some sort of conscious decision to try to be more. um. I don't know. Serious or cohesive. Yeah, more, yeah. Or, and, um, you know, create a brand maybe. I don't know. But yeah, but overall, anyway, that, that's the album cover. It's, uh, yeah. it's a, it's very well done, but yeah, not, not the most memorable in the world. Uh, back cover the same, just stucco with the names of the songs. Not super exciting. Um, then it's got, yeah, there you go with the, with the, uh, the asterisk. You're right. Yeah. So David Coverdale, Steve I, Adrian Vandenberg. And then when you zoom in, uh, I don't think I can see it. Uh, no, this is a kind of a poor quality version. Um, Where you say Adrian Vandenberg guitar asterisk, you're like, what, wait a minute, what? <laughs> or if they put Adrian Vandenberg and then quote guitar, it's like, what? <laughs> He's playing a fake guitar. <laughs> it's like when you go to the supermarket and it's like, it's like chicken. It's like the fake stuff. It's like chicken in quotes. <laughs> These are, you know, veggie burgers, you know. Well, I think they they stopped doing that though with the meatless options. They'll be like, like they'll be like chick n and like a pos- yeah. chick apostrophe n like chicken, you know, yep. or like 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 uh, <laughs> almond milk used to be two words and now it's almond milk all one word almond milk and then beverage underneath <laughs> beverage. In case you didn't know, they should do that with like how would you do it with beef though? Just like three e's, <laughs> beef, <laughs> beef. <laughs> <laughs> or an apostrophe between the two E's. B E. Well, no, I think for some of that stuff, they'll have like meatless crumbles and stuff like that, yeah. like for the, the fake hamburger and, and stuff. Like they, bacon also- bits, wasn't it like bacon spelled? C-U-N because it's un yeah it's not actually bacon yeah it's 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 fun to go into the into like a supermarket and and see some of these uh those old terms like that and see the creative ways that they get around it because I know that they were like um like regulatory agencies like I know like uh, something like the dairy council or something like that that's why they changed it from almond milk to like almond milk all one word oh, because yeah, they, were, they can't call this milk well they yeah they were representing it just like if you, i remember i went like i know we're getting off into a tangent but when i was like went to a it was like a veget like a i think it was the boston vegetarian food festival mm-hmm. which was very cool it's one of those things where you go in it was just like all vendors and stuff and they're you know they're giving out samples they're selling things so very cool thing especially back when i was eating like that and i remember somebody was trying to sell me on like on uh on on some other like uh some other kind of milk mm-hmm. uh some other kind of milk like an alternative milk and i said well i prefer almond milk and they're just like <laughs> she looked at me and she goes how do you milk an almond <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you milk like, any of these like things with, they're not with like such soy. <laughs> with like such disgust and it's just like well and i mean i get it right it's yeah. just like that's what they're trying to do is it's just like what you qualify as milk like i guess like the regulated term of milk is, is yeah, like yeah. something that w- like if you milk like an animal like yeah. a goat's milk cow's milk whatever so to call almond or soy or anything like milk is like misrepresenting so that's why they had to like go and change all the labels or something very very kind of unusual yeah um but you know uh kind of makes sense kind of stuff but anyways that has nothing to do with adrian vandenberg but i do so have to say this on. though while we're on milk 
my roommate uh he used to, we there was this place in our our t- in uh in our town, um, like a, this grocery store that was just so low budget and everything they sold was like, you know, just like the lowest quality, ter- most terrible mm. stuff. And they, you know, you couldn't find any, and he'd always complain. He, and he, he'd say, ah, oh, they don't, they don't have anything there. This name brand. They don't even have milk. They have milk. <laughs> and it was like the funny joke, but now there's actually a product <laughs> called milk. <laughs> like it came out a few years and I think it's an almond milk or something, but I thought it was like the funniest, the, the funniest joke that, you know, they don't even have milk. They have milk. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that I think there was a Simpsons thing with that too, which I know that that uh, Rich and Steve will probably be all they're over already, this. They've already probably been saying it while, while they're listening. Yeah, I think it was Malk. Malk. Oh, maybe right, that's where he got it, was, it from. <laughs> maybe. I I thought it was funny because it was written by Simpsons writers. No, it was. Um, let me see. It was. Um, yes, that's right. Because there's there was a um, Malk M A L K because it was a. Um, the uh, the the Pete uh, the, what is it the uh, principal Skinner was so cheap he wasn't even getting in real milk so he's getting in milk now with vitamin R. <laughs> uh, oh man, all these years so, I thought he was so clever and he was probably just stealing it from the Simpsons. Um, probably. So anyway, yeah, Adrian Vandenberg not on guitar. Um, there's the track listing again. The booklet uh, just kind of obviously goes through all of this stuff. It's got all the um, lyrics. And then uh, here it's got um, I like I like this says what they all use. Like Steve Vai has got like 12 lines worth of Bob Bob <laughs> Bradshaw refrigerator rack. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the majority of effects on the guitar provided by the Eventide H300 harmonizer. He talks about his pickups, all, probably all stuff he's required to do because they give him all the stuff for free. It says all mm-hmm. the stuff. And then at the end, it says David Coverdale, coffee, Marlboro, hundreds and wing and a prayer. <laughs> oh, Coverdale. <laughs> kind of funny. Um, yeah, but that's kind of all the uh, all the liner notes. Um, and uh, before we get into the music, yeah, you know, we're you know, with that, I think we're just going to jump right into it and talk about the album. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we've already spent enough time uh, getting way off topic on yeah, everything. That's all right. That's why they're two parters. We will we'll say it's because of the length of the CD. I guess if we started the the episode exactly like we were just like, "Hey, welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast." Here we go. Play slip of the tongue. Um, but you know, we 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 do like to cover a little bit of the background of the band and go off on tangents. It's just it's just what we do. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of. Uh, covering things we have to cover our core level patrons the wonderful people that support this show um so we have coming in at the seven dollar and 77 cent keep it warm rat tier we have michael vader at the six dollar 99 cent new nice price tier we have spike the rock cat and sugar tea at the episode six dollar 66 cent tier we have steve coldwell and arthur smith Anton Glaving and Charles Meadows at the $6.65 almost evil tier. We have Kenny Wymore, Michael Bagford, and Richie Sucksmith at the $5.99 nice price tier. We have Robert Smith, Peter from Illinois, and Carl Helberg. At the 60 kroner Scandinavian Nights tier, we have Newt Morton Johansson. At the $5.55 What's Going On Here tier, we have Richard Fusey. And at the $5 Moneylender tier, John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, 
Uh, Jesper Alman, Alexei the Perfect Stranger, Slepikov, Kev Roberts, Percival Frequency, Scott Zerns, Cynthia Doobie, Raf, Calf, and Coyote Bongwater. All right. Thank you to all you wonderful folks for your support of the Deep Purple Podcast. Okay. Are we ready to get into the first half of this album? I'm ready, baby. All right. All songs by Coverdale and Vandenberg, except for Fool for Your Lovin', which is, of course, Coverdale, Marsden, Moody. And with that, away we go. First track up, the titular slip of the tongue. Very ominous and serious sounding. Sounds like a spooky haunted church. I like how it comes in. What do you think about that keyboard sound? I mean, I like it for this era. Yeah. Tommy's gently hitting that ride symbol. (laughs) 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 Listen to Steve Vai. He's great on this album. And I mean, Coverdale is like the height of his vocal powers here, too. I mean, whether you like it or not, I mean, he was really belting it out on this album. Oh, yeah. Love those <laughs> Do harmonics, those harmonics that does. fast? I mean, that's really, I mean, <laughs> newsflash, Steve I is really good. Deep purple kind of breakdown there for the solo. But it's funny because it only lasted like a couple bars. This part I could like see being on Perfect Strangers almost. Yeah, I think that's why I like this keyboard sound. Because it's not yeah, it's like just, really an '80s keyboards. It, it is, but it's not. You know, it's not a obnoxious. I don't. I don't think. So Aldridge actually said that Mike Clink said he was overplaying on this song. So as a result, that the drums are pretty straightforward on the album. Who was overplaying? Aldridge. Ah. Uh. Apparently, apparently he didn't give that same feedback to Vi. <laughs> no, you keep doing that. You're fine. I mean, I think Vi is all over this album. His style is very apparent, but I feel like for Steve Vi, he's very contained within the song. Like, I mean, he does a lot of great stuff, but I mean, it adds to the song. It's not just like, it's not like Ingve where you're just like, right, yeah, he's yeah. just puking notes, you know? 
Well, the vocals would have been done at like the 45 second mark. <laughs> this would be like four minutes of solo. Like, I mean, listen to this, a very melodic oh, solo. Oh yeah, I mean, Vi is on a different level than almost everybody. And this is very Passion and Warfare sounding, which was a solo album that came out the same year. Yep. You have to get to, one, get to that one of these days. It's weird that effect, it almost makes it sound like there's brass in there, like, like a tuba or a trombone bump bump like the yeah just the the decay of the note sounds like it's coming out of a horn that would have been great with this whole image that they brought out a horn section for that one part (laughs) (laughs) i mean i like that this song has dynamics too that double bass drum going. I think it's two tracks of Vi, but with Vi, you can't tell. It could just as easily be him on one guitar. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Most guitarists wouldn't be able to play those both at the same time, but him, you, you just don't know. I love the way this song is is outroing. Oh. Oof. A, what an a, opener. A statement of intent, for sure. But it's, it's funny, because with a name like Slip of the Tongue, you'd, I mean, I'm, you know, without without pouring through the lyrics book you would expect like a few years earlier for this to be a little more um uh t- a little more cl- like a little more <laughs> you know where he's laughing and you know to get you to bed you know all that sort of stuff <laughs> yeah right but anyway slip of the tongue what do you rank this one um i'll give this one a four all right um definitely a uh, strong opener um, do you, um, who, do you know who's, uh, keyboards on this song or are we not? I don't know if it's, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I would guess Aerie from the playing, but it's hard because, uh, yeah, yeah, it, I don't know. I know that you, that you listed like a couple of different ones. I didn't know if like track by track, if you had had that info, but, no. um, but, um, regardless, I think that. Coming out of the gate, like you would think, okay, like this is very similar to the '87 album mm-hmm. in in style and in tone, but I I actually think it's very different um, because um, like Sykes and Vi are two great players, but Sykes had a really particular sound mm-hmm. and Vi has a particular sound and Vi's sound on this song is, is just like, it's a lot. I, I want to use the word like it's more, and it might be the way that it's produced too, but he's more warm, more analog. Like he adds more warmth to the mm-hmm. songs, um, his guitar tone and his 
like he's like you you can't hear Steve Vai and not know that it's him. You know what I mean? So it's like he's all over this album. I don't care if Vandenberg wrote these songs and you know he's you know credit on the album. Like you know all all due respect to him. This is not his album for being a guitar player. This is like you know Vai's stamp is on it. I think that's what makes this album really good is the collaboration between you know um, Vai and White Snake. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he's a great player. I mean, he's, I, I don't even know what to call him. He's like, he's, he's a, he's a shredder. He's melodic. He's simple. He's complex. Like, you know what I mean? So, um, I think that, you know, this is a really great song. Um, I mean, I always liked it. I like how there are dynamics in it, you yep. know, that kind of like, um, almost, uh, did you compare it to like the perfect strangers era? Like the kind of, burnum, burnum. Uh, yeah, yeah. It sounds like, like something that either Perfect Strangers purple or like House of Blue Light or something. Yeah, that sounds like something that '80s Purple would do, you know. So I think there are some like really dynamics um, in the song. I think that vibe plays really melodically. I mean, I even like the double bass stuff that like uh, that Tommy Aldridge was doing, um, you know, during the uh, um, during the chorus. And um, and I mean, Coverdale, like whether you love or hate the way that he was singing at this time, was just like I mean. Vocally, he was at his peak mm-hmm. um, in terms of like um, um, ability. I mean, he was like going for it. So, I mean, um, you know, I think while it's really similar to the other album, like it's it's just like if you're really listening, like you can tell that it's like it's it's different. Right. They um, talked about I mean, I, him singing at the yeah. at the very edge of his range. Like he's straining to sing this. Um. You know, this is the absolute top of his range, whereas, you know, previously before the before slide it in, he really didn't get there very often. Yeah, no, I mean, it was it was really it's um it's similar to what um um what Paul Stanley from Kiss was doing was in the 70s. He was kind of here. And then in the 80s, he was just like he was like reaching for like it had to be because that was the sound, right? Yeah, that was the, and I mean, and he did a damn great job of it. But I mean, I think similar to Coverdale, probably damaged his voice yeah. because now you know can barely, you know, can barely hit those notes. Mm-hmm. Unlike Glenn Hughes, the vampire of rock, who can you know doesn't age and you know can still sing anything, as we just saw a couple of weeks ago or last week or God, it feels like forever ago, but it was like last week, I think. Yep. Um, but yeah, so anyways, um, yeah, I think this is, I think that this is, uh, this is great. Yeah, I'll agree with you. I'll give this one a four as well. I think it's a strong, strong opener and it's of its time, but it's, I think it does a really good job of what it was trying to achieve at the time. Solid, Rob, it makes the opening statement. Let's see if the rest of the album, uh, follows through on that statement. But the next track up is a song called Wait. Oh, this is all. They're all freaking out of order. These jerks. Next song up is a song called Cheap and Nasty. Sorry. I'm taking from the remaster and he can never leave his song orders alone. So. I'm a sucker for a good quarter note cowbell. I mean, I know it's a pretty much a cliche, but I love it. 
Yeah, this song really... I think this song really swings. <laughs> oh, Coverdale. I mean, it's just hilarious. Cheap and nasty. And of course, it's... Come on and do the dirty with me. <laughs> In case you didn't know what he was talking about. But there's a, he uses the apostrophe, the A-N apostrophe, which is a, harkens back to the classic White Snake. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's great because you still have, like, Vi playing that blues bass riff. A riff. Yep. That blues-based riff, but he still puts himself in there. Vandenberg, this I think... This is like classic White Snake theme, too. <laughs> Vandenberg said that this was a riff he'd had from his Vandenberg days that he brought in for this one. You know, but this is the classic White Snake you'd expect. It just doesn't match up with this album cover you're seeing, you know? Not at all. It should just be like, it should be the cover of Warren's Cherry Pie with David Coverdale, like, creeping in on her to try to eat the cherry pie, you know? (laughs) Or that backstage pass they had with the woman eating, with the lipstick eating the banana. So listen oh, close. The gang vocals. There should be some Hughes in there. that mean all the boys call your name down the wishing well so maybe like they're throwing pennies in the wishing well hoping that they're gonna be able to do her (laughs) i was thinking she was down the well but i guess that makes more sense oh that makes sense yeah they're just like wishing oh man i wish i could sleep with that girl she's if she's so cheap and nasty it should not be that difficult I mean, you gotta, it's, it's, you just gotta love it. It's, it's so, um, I don't know. It's just, (laughs) it's just hilarious. You know, it it is over the top. He's got the, you know, the, all the, um, he starts off with all the automobile thing, the tired automobile tropes, you know, like, you know, I get so excited in your limousine, you know, your accelerator, cruise control, like all these, <laughs> my four wheels rock with your, you know, all this stuff. It's just the, the classic, like, car song. This is a song about a car. And then the he, breakdown, even, he's like, don't talk with your mouth full. Yeah, it's just, oh my God. <laughs> Can't believe he goes there. Oh, Really? I mean, you can, but so it's it says in here uh, featuring the Delberts from Hell chorus, which is apparently 
Glenn Hughes, David Coverdale, and Tommy Funderburk together are the Delberts from Hell chorus. So, okay. Anyway, cheap and nasty, John. What do you think? Well, um, I'm giving that one a four. Um, I <laughs> I think that was another great song. I think it was uh, like it's great. I think it's fun. Like I love listening to it because it's like it's just at the edge of like this kind of music basically being done for and going away but there's still like that you know you're still like right in the middle there where Coverdale can you know I mean these are classic themes for him um or it's a classic theme for him and it's just like he can pull it off you know he's Mm -hmm. not the thing is is he's not disingenuous about like any of this stuff you know it's like he he he's he loves to have fun you know he can he can do a song like this but he can be serious too um, it, in some of his songs and, um, I think, you know, Vi like was, uh, you know, played really well in the song. And I talk about him a lot because he's really the only other distinguishing factor in here. Like the other musicians are like, don't really have any, they don't stand out to me, you know, yeah. um, even, even Tommy Aldridge, but yeah, you're not getting, um, you know, you're not getting Neil Murray style bass fills from Sarzo. It's just very, yeah, right. and that would have been at the direction of the producers too that that wasn't what they wanted at this time they wanted the focus to be on the singer and the guitar player um i feel like um vi went a little like like ham with the guitar solo with the whammy bar toward the end was a it sounded like it was like like, laughing like (laughs) (laughs) um but i did really enjoy that like that 80s style like fist pump and breakdown with the gang vocal yeah um the nasty yeah, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not going to lie. Like, I admit that that's like I love that shit. And, you know, this song did it like perfectly. So. um, So, yeah, I like it. Yeah, I, I have to give it a four as well, just because it's it is really like, um, you know, this is not a. I don't know, it's like it is the hair metal of the time, but it's also Coverdale through and through. You see his kind of sense of humor and his um, just downright uh, disturbing in some points <laughs> things that he's saying. It's just so funny that you're just like singing a song. It's, he's saying you're cheap and nasty. It's like you're just saying it like you're cheap and nasty, like to somebody like. And, and then he's like, hey, come do the dirty with me. It's like, OK, you just called me cheap and nasty. You said all I do is give it up. You talked about my smooth accelerator. You know, it's like you just you're basically insulting this woman. And then but, but I, I mean, Coverdale, maybe, I guess you can get away he, with it. Does he look in the mirror and say to himself, cheap and nasty? Oh, mm. do all the boys call his name? <laughs> well, a little, a little existential uh, white snake sexual humor there exactly who Um, is cheap and nasty truly 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 darling is it the woman or is it coverdale i think oh i think i think there's a little of of her and him and a little of him and her darling (laughs) (laughs) oops (laughs) do you do you have a little white snake in you (laughs) would you like (laughs) or are you just (laughs) or are you just happy to see me no wait a minute now i'm mixing them all up (laughs) Uh, all right. The next track up is the Fool for Your Lovin' 89 redo. So very clearly. I think they also tuned, I think they also tuned up a little bit for this because wasn't the original tuned down like maybe a half step? Maybe they have to tune it up to get into A. <laughs> 
Well, either that or the tempo's a little faster, but. So, a clearly modernized, it's funny because it wasn't even that long ago, it was only a few years earlier, but. I know. In the same decade, for God's sake. I just what do you think? I just love that chorus. You know, it's it's, it's such a great melody. Very, you can hear the Bernie influence in it. And I'm surprised that this didn't do better along the lines of "Here I Go Again." But a lot happened. It was only two years later, but a lot happened in those two years. And this was, like mm. you said, starting to go away. Yeah, trends were starting to change. I mean, you're just on the edge. I mean, we weren't quite in the early 90s yet, but, you know, we were getting there. And I love that the uh, chorus features the title of two different Deep Purple songs in it. Hmm. The only thing I'm looking at the cover, the only thing I think is kind of funny is when they Serpent's Albans, which is just Latin for white snake. I think that's kind of funny <laughs> on the little seal. <laughs> I don't know why that always amuses oh, me. Oh. Just like white white snake in Latin, it'll be very elegant. A little different field <laughs> than Marsden <and> Moody. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Moody was would have been hoping that this would do the same thing that Here I Go Again did for Marsden because I'm sure Marsden put his kids through college from the '87 version. Well, I mean, this was like, this was almost 10 years later from the original version, so. Wasn't the original like, well, yeah, it would have been like 80. 1980. 80, yeah, okay. Yeah, so. Not as recent as the five years later version of Here I Go Again. Mm -hmm. for your loving 89 version what do you think so i'm i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to give it a 3.5 mm -hmm. um 
I I thought it was I thought it was okay. I didn't really listen to it because honestly, I listened to the um, I listened to the uh, the the version from Ready and Willing, Ready and Willing more often, mm-hmm. and um, I, I think that one is way better. Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes you you re-record a song and there are improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, like um, when he did "Here I Go Again." I mean, there were like, I would say there were some improvements, like, you know, getting rid of the hobo line and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I I really feel that like, um, like I said, this version is just okay. Um, I would say that it it really kind of like lost like the soul of the original. Like, I mean, I really like it around this point, like Coverdale's kind of like really uh, kind of bluesy delivery is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, he, yeah. you know, he's he doesn't deliver it in the same way. Like the way he's singing in '89 is not the same way that he was singing in '80. Right, and um, I was that's born really lost. Under a bad sign. Yeah, it's like exactly. Very, very different. Big change. And I mean, as good as as good as Vi is, I don't think that he was um, suitable for this song. I mean, I really miss Bernie mm-hmm. Marsden's original solo. Like, I mean, when I first discovered the original and listened to him back to back, I'm just like, Marsden's solo just blows away what Steve Vai did on this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, technically, Vi may be a better guitar player, but Bernie nailed that original guitar solo. And that's the one that I defer to so mm-hmm. it's like um you know i would if i had to pick between the two versions i never listened to this one and um like i said it's it's fine but i mean it's not it's not my version it's not the one that i that i like better um i just unfortunately i just think that doing this one it was like um a bit of a misstep you know they didn't they didn't achieve i think what they did with um here i go again uh which is what i think they were probably trying to do oh 100 percent um and I mean, yeah, it's a great song, but it's just like, I would say, like, listen, listen to the ready and willing version, you know, listen to the original. Yeah, I agree. I give it a 3.5. I think <clears throat> I give it a 3.5 because it's a great song and I, and listening to it yeah. reminds me of, you know, just kind of like what they were going for with the album cover, you know, the album cover. Oh, it harkens back to the last album. And I liked that. And the same thing with this, like the melodies are great. The chorus is great. I love I love the the, the lyrics. It's it's just a great song. But yeah, not as great as yeah. I mean, the original is just awesome. And I think they did make some minor changes to here I go again. But when Sykes did on that song was not such a departure from the original. I mean, he obviously put his own spin on it. It was obviously a little bit more technical because he was more of a technical player, but it was not this like over the top Vi thing, which works for, for Vi stuff and Vi based stuff. But uh, in in my opinion, not so much on this particular song. It's a little mm-hmm. distracting from what's a really great blues rock song. Mm-hmm. All right. The next track up on side one of the album is Now You're Gone. Very 80s White Snake intro. And this was released in a single, as a single. A great opening. Yeah, really cool guitar medley. Melody, not medley. 
but even hear the way that Coverdale's singing in here, like the really feel like the bluesiness is gone from his voice. Yep. Like, I think he even had, retained a little bit more of it on the 87 album. Now I just feel like it's... I never really noticed it before, but... I think it's the maybe like that they're the expense of At the expense of the, the character and his voice is like his technical abilities. Yeah. You know what I mean? a good min temple rocker rocker though it feels like the the second section here is like too fast like he's trying to get the lyric you know i wake up in a cold sweat and i try to you know like he's trying to get the lyrics out too much it feels like hmm. i th- i think his for me, Coverdale's appeal is in the slow, emotional delivery, and it's, it sounds rushed to me in this one. Hmm. Think that might be Hughes doing backups? I'm trying to listen for him, but I can't. Let me see. It doesn't. It could be. They're a little cheeky with what they actually tell you he's yeah. singing. It doesn't say the Delbert well, from Hell chorus on this one. Yeah. Well, because you have him and then, like, Fuddrucker or whatever his name is. <laughs> Fuddrucker. <laughs> Fud- Who's the other guy? <laughs> Fuddrucker. Yeah, I know what you're saying. The tempo feels a little fast. Even this part, but I think more so in the in the verse or the pre-chorus. But listen to the backup background vocals here. It's gotta be. Yeah, you can't tell. A nice vocal run that all oh, that I want it's funny to bring in Glenn Hughes on the backing vocals on something like this because it could have could have just been anybody. Yeah, exactly. Just like get get anybody that can kind of belt out some backup. But, you know, maybe brought him in because you know they're friends or. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it could have. I think he he was in with the label or whatever. But it's just funny to. It's like bringing in uh, Steve Vai to. I don't know, play the, you know, if they're doing a cover of Smells Like Teen Spirit, and <laughs> whether they want them to play it totally straight, you know, it's like, I mean, anybody <laughs> can do that. 
Um, all right. So yeah, the the sing that was released as a single. It made it to ninety six on the U charts and the UK on the US mm. charts. In the UK, it made it to number thirty one. And they did a video for this as well. They filmed it at the um, oh. at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I thought Fool for Your Loving was the only video. Oh. I remember that one because I think Steve Vai had like like a double neck guitar. I think probably at least in the full in the full for your loving video. I want to say that it was like it was the one where the two necks went in opposite directions. Mm -hmm. Type of thing. Oh, I'm not yeah, sure yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time. Isn't the, didn't they say that this is the first album that featured a seven string guitar? Like he was using a seven string on this, like that really crazy one with the fluorescent. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It actually says it right here. Ibanez seven string guitar and the Ibanez gem series guitars so yeah i i think there was something i don't know if he said it on twitter way back when but either coverdale or vi was saying this is the first rock album to fit to feature a seven string guitar find that hard to believe but maybe you calling you calling them a liar you calling david coverdale a liar no i am not <laughs> just for a future reference Casey uses this to decide whether he wants to ever come on the show. <laughs> he was like, I was going to come on, but that seven string guitar thing really hurt me. <laughs> um, okay. So the, oh, we mm. didn't rank that one. Sorry. No. What do you rate I'm, that? I'm, I'm having a hard time with this one. Okay. Um, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to give it a three because I think it's a good song and I like I like the melody. I like the kind of the mid tempo kind of like, like the verse makes me think of something that you would hear at like a, like a high school dance or something or, or on the radio, you know, yep. kind of one of these, you know, mid tempo, like love songs. Now you're or gone. The slow dance, at the, I, the slow skate at the roller rink. Yeah. Something like that. But I, I feel that like the, like you call my attention to it. And then I noticed it as is like, it did feel rushed. It, it felt like where again, like, you know, five, 10 years earlier, Coverdale may have like, you know, kind of, you know, used his lower register and sung in a really bluesy tone and kind of taken his time with it. It felt very clean, mm -hmm. very kind of like very up tempo. And so it, it, it did feel like a little rushed, you know, when I heard it that way, but that being said, I think melodically, it was like, it's a really good song. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's great to listen to. I mean, um, I mean, I always like this song, you know, but I mean, if we're like really dissecting it, those are probably the issues that I have with it. Um, or the issue that I would have with it, but overall, I think it's pretty, pretty good. Um, so, um, that being said, before I move on and do anything else, I'm going to go back and I want to reverse my, Ooh rating for a fool for your love and down to a three. I want to take away a 0. 0.5. All right. Which, which I've done before, but the more I was thinking about it, the more I'm just like, I don't think it deserves that extra 0. 0.5 because I don't like it as much. I was thinking back on some of my comments and I think it's just a three. Okay. So I will also but, give this one a three okay. um, for all the reasons you stated. Um, I think uh, I, I, when, if you listen to it, like, in thinking of like a song like time and again, like if he was doing that, like more of that tempo and mm -hmm. delivering the same lyrics, I think it might've worked a little bit better, but I think they were so obsessed at this point with having the power ballad that they had to like make this, 
I don't I don't know if there's any truth to that. It's just my speculation is that they had to somehow you couldn't just have a song on an album this this day, which was a guitar or just a piano and vocals with just a little bit had to be everything had to be power ballad. So they're just like, well, we're going to take the song mm-hmm. that's maybe not suited to it and we're going to make it a power ballad. Like if you did time and again and tried to speed it up and make it a power ballad, you'd ruin the whole freaking song. I think there's a great yeah. song in here. I just think the way it's performed and it just it just seems like rushed and it's not the emotion doesn't come through as much as it could if it was delivered differently like do you remember the the clip that we saw of uh, moody and marsden sitting down and like doing um um love hunter yep like i feel like if if like say if like you had those two guys and they sat down and they were just like kind of goofing around and they were like Hey, like now you're gone. And then they played it like, you know, just sitting across from each other like that. And they mm-hmm. did like a, a like the bluesier or slower version. Like I feel like something like that would do more justice to a song like this. Because you can tell, like you said, like that's what made me think of it is like there's a good song in there, but it's just it feels a little too, you know, like it like it wasn't done to the best of its ability. Like it didn't put the spotlight on it the way it could have been. Like they you know, it didn't shine as much. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Um, I don't think they, they didn't do this. I don't think on, uh, Starkers in Tokyo because it would have been a good, um, mm. it would have been great for that environment. Cause I think some yeah, of the actually, songs you know what? really shine on that's that. A good, yeah. That's a good reference for that. It's like a Starkers in Tokyo, which, um, which actually, I think it was Yumi and Rich were talking about that album or at least i know me and rich were and he loves that album oh, and i went back and incredible yeah listen to it and it's like uh, i definitely and i mean i think that was like in the early days of like kind of like unplugged unplugged performances and stuff so there were some there were some hits and misses but it was a really novel thing but i think that that yeah. one really holds up because you know a lot of the songs that white snake had done were really just had you know like deep down were good songs, you know, you could perform them like that. And I mean, you know, that performance was really good. Yeah. And it's also, it's, this it's would have been good on it. lower volume and it's, it's Coverdale singing, um, not trying to sing so, so, so high above his register. So with so much power, I mean, he puts mm. so much power into it, but in like a different way and it just really, really works. And I, and I think I've said it before, I think that's where you really know if a, if a song really shines is can you, if you can perform it with just your voice and an acoustic guitar and it's, you, it's still great, then it's probably a great song. Mm. Um, but anyway, to wrap up side one of this album, we've got the song that you already, uh, you spoiled for everybody. <laughs> Oh, kittens got claws. <laughs> Freaking. <laughs> I think his ow, 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 ow on the 87 album was better. Uh, but that's okay. <laughs> I just love all the all the, the sounds like dying cats in the background. It's just cats in heat. This is a really driving song, though. I always like this song. The, the, yeah, the, the G string tune to A line. Mm hmm. 
And they actually had a laugh about that when they realized the whole al- <laughs> every song in the album was an A. <laughs> they talk about it in one of the books. You're the genuine feline. <laughs> that sounds like a, a like certified a, pleasure machine. Sounds like a Tom Jones or like James Brown lyric or something. Near Rob Sarzo's bass a lot better in this song too. Yeah, yeah. Because he's kind of chugging along. She's a heart attack is a weird. They said she's a cardiac earlier. Well, you know, if you have some, you know, really good sex, uh, you'll feel like you're gonna have a friggin' heart attack. Or you will have a heart attack. <laughs> Or you could really have a heart attack. Just doesn't yes. sound like a good selling point to me. <laughs> oh, it's a brand new XJS. That's the the Jaguar from the Here I Come Again video. Referencing it. So is this song about Tawny? Maybe. A little pre-chorus or pre-solo banter was very early White Snake. Jesus. I think it was a great solo by him. Yeah. They kind of tease you, making you think it's going to be like acapella drums and vocals sort of thing, but. Yeah. almost teased that like a little laugh there but it's like seems like he would have been like ha ha like he would have done he would have gone a little more overboard yeah. in previous incarnations of the band
It's like it's totally over the top. Scratch my back, baby. I'll scratch yours. Yeah. Ow, so, ow. <laughs> somehow I don't think he's talking about actual back scratching. Mm. Oh boy, kittens got claws. I mean, you can tell just when you when you're looking at the track listing, you see cheap and nasty, and you're like, okay. You see kittens got claws, and you're like, okay. I- <laughs> You know what's happening. You know what's you know what's going on in the Coverdale mind, in the twisted mind <laughs> of David Coverdale. All right, what do you mm. think of Kitten's Got Claws? Uh, I'll give that one a four. That one was um, that was highly enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I like the um, I like the guitar cat noises at the beginning. Um, I the still like the cat noises. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> this was, like I don't know, like I, there's always stray cats and like around where I grew up. So it was like you know, just like you'd hear that in the night sometimes. It just doesn't it doesn't uh, strike me as sexy. It's well, just I mean, annoying. well, I think the, the, the thing that's well, I think it's a cool thing about it is is just that Vi is able to make that uh, that effect with his guitar. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's what's probably cool why they, about it. That's probably they, they're like, oh, we gotta we gotta fit that in a song. Oh, I'll write a song about a feline woman that I want to sleep with. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Who decided that like acting like a cat was sexy? I mean, cats are assholes. <laughs> but anyway. Um, but um, no, I mean, it's a, yeah, I mean, if you actually got like a cat, like a recording of a cat in heat, it wouldn't be as cool. He's like, yeah, it's a very, it's <laughs> a very annoying best. noise, trust me. <laughs> but um, going right into Coverdale going, ow, 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 you know, always love it when Coverdale does that. I think he did it better on the 87 album, but I enjoyed it here, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really liked the, the the kind of drive of the song. The lyrics are ridiculous, but I mean... <laughs> The the song really drives. Um, I think that the the first I would say like probably like three quarters of the guitar solo is really good, really melodic, mm-hmm. and then it kind of gets a little muddled toward the end. But I mean, it's like I just love it when when Vi does that really kind of like upbeat, kind of like um, melodic, like you know bends and stuff like that. It, it just like to me, it also shows like you know what a great guitar player he is because he could do a thousand notes in there, but he'll just do like he'll just bend like one note for a couple of bars. Yep. And it's still like, it still blows you away, you know? Um, also one thing on this, which is like, maybe not a positive, but it's like, I started to finally hear what, like, I mean, I know like a, we always joke around and Rich calls Tommy Aldridge cement wrists because he has no swing. <laughs> yeah. But I could, I could actually hear it in this song. I could hear the like, first first few drum beats of slip of the tongue. Yeah, it's like, and now I'm yeah. like, now it's like but poisoned I mean, in my this, mind. <laughs> but I, mean, I can't not hear it now. In in this one especially though, you know, it's just like it's very just kind of, you know, just very kind of um, not bad. I mean, it was just like it was fine for this song, but it's very like uh, I don't want to say robotic, but it was just very like I guess stiff, you could say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like I said, I don't know if like some of the stuff that. Um, you know, I've read from other places or when I've had conversations with other people, like if you said, if they've seeped into my mind and now I hear it because they said it, but it's just like, mm-hmm. I, I prefer to think that it calls my attention to that. And now I can, now when I pay attention to it, I realize it or I hear it. Um, but Hey, you know, it is what it is. That's just an observation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll give this one a 3.5. Uh, I think it's, it's fun. 
it's definitely i mean white snake songs like this are just fun they're they're you yeah. know they're they're silly they're, the lyrics are over the top um you know like the, the ending ow, ow! <laughs> you know all, all of that stuff is just it's it's fun you know like and um you know i think there's some people that do stuff that is comical that aren't trying to be comical, like like the <laughs> for example, <laughs> like where you know he Ingve doesn't want anybody to to laugh at what he's doing. I don't think. Oh no, uh, not not, oh, no. A, not even close. But like Coverdale that's is not. Why we laugh harder than anyone else. <laughs> like I think Coverdale is a serious musician and he's like serious about his music, but he doesn't take himself very seriously. If you follow anything he does he's always he's just a jokester and he he writes songs like this and he's he's just having a fun good time so um and it's just oh, yeah you know, sometimes mean, it gets ridiculous but it's, but it's just it's always always entertaining yeah i mean he does this kind of stuff and like you said i think he's really serious about it but at the same time he'll like you know he'll he'll turn to the camera and laugh like mr roper you know on three's company <laughs> you know he'll yeah. like look over at you and like wink and just be like get it <laughs> get it to get because he has pads. fun yep. yeah exactly he has fun i feel like if you if you went up you know if, we, if you talk to him about about any of that stuff and everything he'd have as good a time with it as anyone else whereas like if you we're just like, hey, Ingve, you were really funny last night. He'd like <laughs> smash his guitar off your head. He's like, I've never been funny. <laughs> I'm not a funny person. <laughs> My clown here for your amusement. <laughs> oh, boy. Mm. Oh, well, well, there you have it. That's the first half of Slip of the Tongue. And uh, before mm. we close things out on this first half, we have to, of course, thank our foundation-level patrons. Coming in at the, what is it? $3.50 Deep Purple New York tier, we have Lord Longford. At the three-pound aromatic feed tier, Simon Ford and Richard Brees. At the $3.33 Halfway to Evil tier, Stephen Sharp and Duncan Leesk. At the $3 Nobody's Perfect tier, we have Peter Gardeau. Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback, Stuart McCord, Ivan Field Boo, Runar Siemensen. J.J. Stenard, Ruinous Inadequacies, John Maselli, I got two words for you. Adios. <laughs> Michael Boyette and Corey Morissette. At the $1.71 I want my own tier tier, we have... At the 10 kroner tier, Karsten Lau. And at the $1 made up name tier, we have the cheap and dusty Leaky Mausoleum, Stephen Somerville, the Cachero 1999 fanatic, Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, Ashen Lionel, <coughs> Blackmore Tights, Steve Down to Earth Kohler, Zwapper the Electric Alchemist, Anders Engstrom, and Ashley Still I Hear Burn Rose. Thank you so much to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple podcast. All right. Another cup, uh, another White Snake and Coverdale episode in the bag. 
as we as we the last of the 80s for the for the the snakes oh boy unbelievable well we're not done yet we're not done yet still have another half to go another half yep another half of the uh, half of the album to go uh but always enjoyable always enjoyable listening to white snake no matter what the era mm-hmm all right anything else before we wrap up this fine episode no i'm out of uh I'm out of Judy Garland facts, but I'll <laughs> she, make sure to curate some more before. Uh, so she was the Elvis episode. of homosexuals and she's dead. Those are all your Judy Garland facts. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Not that she's dead. She died in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's dead. <laughs> Unbelievable wealth of knowledge about Judy Garland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stay tuned for our, our other podcast, The Garland Cast. Yeah, The Garland <laughs> That's too that's too clever. We'd have to do the Judy Garland podcast. <laughs> you could do podcast, podcast, podcast. You know, she does that. You remember she had that special Judy, Judy, Judy. <laughs> podcast, All podcast, right, so you, podcast. All right. No, I, I think that now you have to take over as having more knowledge than I do, <laughs> I because I didn't even bust. I didn't even bust that out. Uh, the teacher has surpassed the master. <laughs> take this pebble from my hand. Podcast, podcast, I only, podcast. I only know that because uh, a few years Rufus Wainwright re, um, did a uh, did a basically a a whole live album that was a redoing of that whole performance, and he called it Rufus, no. Rufus, Rufus does Judy, Judy, Judy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I've never actually heard it, but That's I good. know he did it. So yeah. Uh, <sighs> all right. Well, until next week, my friend. Have a good one, okay. and we'll we'll you convene. Too week to uh tackle the second part of this episode Mm, i can't wait all right later bye thank you for listening to the deep purple podcast if you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future please donate on patreon to support the show you can also leave us a review in apple podcasts to help new people discover the show You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Yeah, can you send him a couple of blues? (laughs) I got a a few spare blues I can send him. I mean, I could just, I could just bleh him on the spot, but you know, actually that didn't sound too good. No, that didn't sound good at all. Ow! My bones are so brittle, but I always drink plenty of milk.